That's pretty important that he wants to do these things because he cares about us. We are in Luke chapter 17, so turn that way over in your Bibles. And uh, just so you know, round trip to Maui is about $400 southwest. Do with that as you please. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for this time to be able to come together to, to worship you, to come to you and, and just bow before you in, in thanksgiving. And as we open up your word, we pray that you would give us the understanding that you desire from this portion of scripture. We ask you, Lord God, to make it a part of us and not just a part of what we've heard sometime. We give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. God does not owe us anything. You knew that, though, didn't you? We are the unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done, according to verse 10, which is where we left off last week, right? And yet, even with this, he desires for us and calls us to become sons. Those who believe in him, he gave us the right to become sons of God. Jesus is the Lord. He's the master. He is the almighty. And David asked the question, who is man that you are concerned about him? And he is concerned about us. Do you understand that? He knows the number of hairs on our head before and after Rogaine. So he knows us intimately. And there's a theology out there that says that God created the world. He spun it up, put a little bit of life on it, and then he went off to play with one of his other toys. It's called deism. It says that God isn't concerned about us really at all. He isn't involved with us at all. And we just simply cannot believe this with any kind of biblical understanding because it's completely false. But perhaps you grew up kind of like me thinking, God doesn't really care. God isn't here with me now. He's that God way up there like that song we sang in the 60s used to say. He's that God that's way out there. He isn't concerned about where I am and what I'm doing right now. He isn't intimate and close with me now. He doesn't really care what I do. You know, just whatever. And then um, and perhaps like me, you believe that uh, a trip to church on Saturday or Sunday would just wipe the slate clean and you could start all over again. You cannot have biblical understanding and believe these kinds of things. So how much of the gospel says, well, that ain't true? It's not true, these things that we were just talking about. God's interaction with man, it began before the cradle, but we do know that it's very visible with the life of Jesus as a man. Him coming as a man shows, and we have an example, we can visibly see that he is involved with mankind. Now, how many instances have we seen in just this gospel, not to mention the other gospels, about God's interaction with us? The fact that Jesus became flesh is undeniable proof that God interacts with his creation. But more than that, he makes a way of reconciliation so that we can ever be with the Lord, as Paul said. Now, Landon, am I too far away from the, the microphone here? Is that what the problem is? It was all squished up in a ball, so I was trying to put it where it belonged. But All right. 
Better, yeah, thanks. Anyway, but don't take Jesus' love and his compassion for servitude. When Jesus came, he did come. He came to serve, right? It says that. He came to serve, but he's not on the earth anymore. At this point, there is absolutely none that Jesus serves anymore. Not man, not angels, not God the Father. He is the one who is exalted above all else. He is high and lifted up. There is no other name that is as high or higher than Jesus. So understanding that and who he is, understand that him leaving the glory that he had before becoming man, coming down here and touching us, being a part of us, understanding mankind and understanding our plight. See, that's not weakness. That's love defined for us. And so today we're going to see that Jesus touches another group of people, not physically, but he touches them nonetheless, and it changes everything for them. And it shows us who we are and how God interacts with us as well. So chapter 17, starting in verse 11, it says, While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you whole. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, well, probably a couple months now. And we need to keep in mind that about 85% of all the Gospels speak about his last three months. I mean, it's not that his other things weren't important, and, and a lot of those things are, are said there, but most of it is about the last three months, and then after he dies and is resurrected again. As important as everything else is, this is the key. And Paul reiterates that by saying that, uh, I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not all that he taught. I mean, you look at the New Testament, and you know that he taught more than that. But as far as salvation goes, as far as salvation, it is by Christ alone. All right? Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is the cross that brings us salvation. Not the law, not self-righteousness, not works, nothing that I can do. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross. So, yes, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and it says that he set his face toward Jerusalem. And that's a colloquialism that says that he is so determined that nothing is going to dissuade him from doing this. Nothing is going to prevent him or delay him from doing what it is that he wants to do. But even so, with all of this on his mind, his compassion for people is not changed. It's the same love that he had a, a month ago that he has now. It's the same love that brought him to earth that causes him to 
look forward to the cross. Thinking about the cross does not cause Jesus to resent people like some people teach. Some people teach that Jesus is so angry about the cross that he doesn't want you to come to him and talk to him and have this relationship. He's kind of mad at you. And so you got to catch him on a good day for him to, to want that. You cannot have biblical understanding and believe that. We know better than that, don't we? When Scripture tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, we understand that it's for these ten leprous men. We understand that it's for us. That people, we are the joy that was set before him. So when he's thinking of the cross, he's got joy set before him and not just thinking about the agony that he's going to be going through. So consider at this time the anguish of being a leper. Yes, there's physical pain, right? You've got your, your flesh rotting off of you, causing big problems, making digits fall off your hands, your nose falling, those kinds of things. We know that there were infections because of the multiple areas of broken skin on you. And it was really the infections that caused these other problems more than anything else. Your nerves became exposed and were highly painful, uh, neuropathy and, and those kinds of things. So it was extremely painful physically with that. But besides healing, what else do you need when you're in pain like this? And I'm not talking about ice cream. We had two boys grow, uh, that we raised and, and all, and I would be the third boy. And if, if you had stitches, it warranted Baskin-Robbins. That's just how it was. All right, as you leave the emergency room, we had a Baskin-Robbins back then, and, and you go and you have some ice cream. But misery loves company, doesn't it? And I can't speak for you, but there are times when I'm in physical pain and I'm just like, I, I don't want anybody around. Just, just go away, leave me alone. But there's other times that I just want to know, is there anybody that cares? And I see these people, these leprous people, being in that kind of position. Because the lepers, a lot lepers, were ostracized. They were removed from society where they couldn't have any kind of relationship with other people because it was contagious. And so by removing them, they've got a lot of people that seem not to care. The only thing they care about is that you stay far enough away from them. If you tested positive for COVID, I mean for leprosy, you were isolated. You were set away from everybody. You could not come within 50 feet of anyone. That's about from here to the back wall. You couldn't come that close to people. And if they came that close to you, you had to cry out with a loud voice, unclean don't come near me i'm unclean and so they were set aside they were ostracized they didn't have the opportunity for the comfort they didn't have the opportunity for people to bring them any kind of relief at all really and it is kind of reasonable that we want to stay away from people you wouldn't want to infect anybody else you wouldn't want to be infected by anybody else leprosy was contagious and far more way back then because of the lack of hygiene and the medications that we have nowadays. But one of the fears was not just that you had leprosy, or that you would get leprosy, but that you would cause it to go through your family. 
through your home, through your village, and become a, a big deal. So if there was even one suspicious spot on you anywhere, you would go to the priest. And the priest would examine, and if it wasn't leprosy, they would give you a certificate that claimed that you were clean. If it was leprosy, you would be immediately taken away and banished from society. Not going home, not saying goodbye to your family, just immediately sent away. The law was so strict that if leprosy was found on a wall, and it could grow on a wall, if it was on a wall inside your house, wherever, if it was in your house, it would be torn down and abandoned. And that's what they did with the people. They would tear them down and they would abandon the people. And that's how they felt. It was serious business. A few chapters ago, do you remember, Jesus came and there was some guy calling out, unclean, unclean. Jesus didn't care. He walked right up to him, laid his hands on him, and healed him at that time. And the tears of pain that this guy had, the loneliness that this guy had, those tears then were, were changed to tears of, of relief and of joy because he finds out that he's not abandoned by God, that God loved him so much and was able to do something about his sickness, and he did. But can you imagine being a leper at this time? The leper couldn't even come in contact with his family or with his friends because if he did, it meant that that family would be under the same restrictions that he would, wouldn't be able to go out anymore. They would be quarantined as well. The same restrictions as banishment. You couldn't go to work. You couldn't go to worship. You couldn't go to Walmart. I needed three W's. That's all, all I had there. You couldn't go and do those different things because you were banished from being around people. All you had were others just like you in your condition. And with that, you would see that a lot of times the barriers that would normally keep you away from people, well, they would be brought down because of the commonality of your plight. Case in point here, we see that there's at least one Samaritan. Don't know how many, but at least one, along with some Jews here as well. And now, those people who would have avoided one another, now, because of the commonality of their plight, they are finding strength in one another, that they need one another at this point. So as we ex examine this story that Luke records, we need to be aware of a couple things. Number one, it is a story. It's not a parable. It's not some nice teaching with the niceties of, oh, this is cool. Don't you want to be a Christian too? It's a story. And the thing about the story is that it's true. When we see the stories in the Bible, we know that the stories are true, not just something that's told to us in legend. The second thing is that throughout Scripture, leprosy is used typologically of sin. Just as leprosy eats away at you and exposes you to pain and misery, so does sin. Also like leprosy, it leads to alienation. It brings you away from God. It makes it so that you can't have that relationship with God that he wants 
That's what sin does. And we are unclean. We are unable to come near him in our sin. And it leads to spiritual misery. We oftentimes see sinners gather around. You've seen them, people who, because of the commonality of their sin, the social barriers or whatever, those things are broken down so that they can come together with this. We need to understand that even in this condition, that our alienation is something that Jesus came to get rid of. He is the bridge between us and God. He is the one that removes the sin from us so that we can have that fellowship with God. But back to the story, back on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus is passing through Samaria and, and Galilee. And verse 12 says, He entered the village. Ten leprous men stood at a distance meeting him. Well, good for them. Good for them for doing what they were supposed to be doing for that. See, they recognized who Jesus was, Master right they understood who he was but they understood who they were also they were infected they were unclean and they also knew that jesus was the only way to be made clean but it's only if he heals them it's only if he does have mercy on them but how how do they how do they know this how do they know who jesus is being 50 feet away from people, they couldn't have been part of the crowd where Jesus is teaching. Maybe they were before they became leprous. Maybe they heard just from a long distance. Maybe somebody came and told them, hey, do you know about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? But it's most logical and quite possible that it was a, a former leper that came to them. Maybe the same one that Jesus came and laid his hand on. Maybe that man came to them and said, Jesus healed me. He came and he touched me and he took away my leprosy and he made me well. Well, maybe that's how this happened. Maybe instead of uh, a, a leper coming and spreading leprosy, they spread the good news, the testimony about how Jesus had healed him. Just as a, sin a sinner who is saved witnesses to their circle of influence, the leper shares hope with their companions as well. And so it's the proverbial beggar telling another beggar where the food is. These men know that they are unclean, that they are unworthy, that they are unwanted, that they are unloved by society. But they know who Jesus is. And in him, they know that they're understood they understand that Jesus cares about them. And we need to understand this also. We need to recognize that Jesus being involved with them personally and up close is how he wants to have relationship with us as well. We have to know that. We also need to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And no doubt this is what, why it came right after the verse that we ended with last week that talked about him being the master and that we are not the master. But Jesus isn't just their master. Jesus is master over disease. He's master over their destiny. He's, he's master over their doubt. He's master over their dread. See, he's master over everything. He is Lord of all. And so Jesus tells them, go and show, show yourself to the priests. 
And again, the priests were the only ones who could declare them free of leprosy. They would come and the priest would look them over again and say, okay, maybe it was a false positive last time. Whatever it is, you had leprosy, but you don't have leprosy now. And so they would give you a certificate of cleanness. And so when you went back into society, don't you think that people would be a little leery of you still? Don't you think that people would, would ask you about, hey, aren't, aren't you leprous? And you'd go, <laughs> certificate of cleanness, man. I'm okay. I can be around you. It's all right. But see, there would be a, a stigma with it and, and with those people anyway, wouldn't it? Think about the man that the Bible calls Simon the leper. He's not a leper anymore, is he? He's been healed a long time ago, but this is his identity now. He is Simon the leper. They might not be comfortable being around them, certificate or not. Isn't it the same way in the church? We'll have people that come into the church after they come to know Christ, and people will look at them and go, man, I don't know if I want you in here. I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I don't want you to be a part of the fellowship because I'm still worried about you. I'm still concerned about you. And in the film, The Jesus Revolution, that's how it was with the hippies, right? People like, I, mm. and it wasn't just the smell. It was the smell. It wasn't just the smell. It was who you are. You're a dirty, rotten, smelly sinner, and we don't want you around here. We only want good people around here. We'd be empty if we wanted that, right? What God has made clean, we need to not call guilty anymore. Simon the leper? What about Pat, the teenage shoplifter? What about Lisa, the... Scared you, didn't I? <laughs> I have no idea what her sin was, and if I did, I wouldn't tell you. All right, but we need to understand that who we were before Christ is not who we are now. We need to understand that Jesus didn't come just to say, all right, well, I don't want you here, but since you asked. We need to understand that he came to us first, bringing the invitation for us to come to him. He's the one that wanted us. And so here in this place, you know, we look pretty presentable. I don't think people would come and be too scared of us. They might be afraid of macho, but you know, they're... They wouldn't be afraid of us because we look like we're cleaned up and presentable. But what about the person who comes and we know about their sin? What about the person who's a well-known sinner, but they come to church? Are they going to be accepted? My thought goes to Chuck Colson. And for you guys that are old enough, you know that he was one of uh, Richard Nixon's hatchet men. And he went to prison, as he should have, but he became a believer. So can you imagine him going to church for the first time and people going, I don't know that we want him associated with us. We might lose people if people know that there are sinners in here. And it's absolutely true because people have come here, you know, I've been here 40 years, they've come here and they've said, you've got people in here that, that are sinners. We, we don't want to be a part of it. Well, 
the, the sin of hypocrisy is, is a big one too. See, we need to understand that as Jesus has forgiven us and has accepted us, we need to forgive one another and accept one another as well. We need to know that the sin of leprosy spiritually in us has been healed and has been cleansed, and we need to say, hey, let's be a part of one another because we are all the same. We are all sinners saved by grace. So notice in the story, though, that Jesus didn't heal them in this place. He says to them, go. And as they were going to show themselves to the priest, that's when they were healed. Had they not gone to go to the, the priest, would they have been healed? Probably not. I, I think about Naaman and how he went to Elisha and said, can he heal me of this leprosy? And Elisha told him, you need to go to the Jordan River and then you need to dip in it seven times. Now this is going to take some serious humility for the commander of the Aramean army to go to the muddy Jordan River and dip himself seven times just because this Jewish prophet told him so. I mean, is Elijah like, oh, yeah, I'm going to heal him and stuff, but I just want to see him jump through some hoops? No, God wanted a little bit of faith from him. And so Naaman, before he, he went and before he dipped himself, was he naming and claiming it? But he needed to have this faith. He, he needed to go and he needed to do what God had told him to do. And so on the way, these ten men go, hey, we're healed. We're healed. I don't know what their conversation was before they were healed, but you got to imagine that the conversation afterwards was, was pretty excitement. Man. And, and maybe their, their, their pace increased some. And nine of them go to the priest, and one of them turns around and goes back to Jesus. Doesn't that seem odd? Doesn't it seem odd that not all of them went back to Jesus to thank him for what he had done? Is it that these ten don't think that their leprosy was as bad as the other ones? Uh, well, it wasn't a big deal that Jesus healed me. Because that's how we are a lot of times concerning our sin. My sin wasn't that bad. Not as bad as Lisa's, whatever that was. I, I, I am not a murderer. I'm not, so does that mean that we shouldn't be thankful to Jesus for what he's done for us? Does that mean we shouldn't go to him with thanksgiving, with praise, calling him master, calling him Lord? Of course not. See, it's important that they went to the priest. But it's more important that they go to Jesus. Are we about going to church and letting people know that Jesus has forgiven us? Or is our priority coming to Jesus when we're here? Again, it's not wrong for the ten of them to go there. Jesus told them to. But it's also not wrong for us to come to church. It's good for us to come to church. But if we come here without coming with the purpose of of thanking and worshiping the one who, that we said is master, then we have completely missed the point. We're more like those nine who took the healing but weren't grateful, didn't want the relationship with him. And how desperate the person was who was determined to have, 
have the infection of leprosy, that they would do whatever it took to, to be cleansed of it. And bringing the analogy forward with the typology of, of leprosy being sin, how desperate the person who understands the severity of sin, how hopeful we are when we realize that there is a cure, and how thankful the person who is cleansed by being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Or are we? Are we thankful for that? Are you going through the motions coming to church? Or are you coming to Jesus? Is it about the perception that we can give other people, showing ourselves to others, say, hey, you know, I'm good, I'm righteous, I, I, I'm a nice person to be around. Do you remember your misery? Do you remember who you were in your sin? Do you remember how lost you were? What sin did to you spiritually? Did you, do you remember that? And are you grateful for what Christ has done? And I understand this, this is a different kind of message than usual. It's almost a topical message, but I am pressed to make sure that you understand that Jesus comes to us so that we can go to him. You need to understand that the God of the universe didn't abandon us, but he brought himself low and became human flesh so that he might be amongst us and understand who we are so that he might have that relationship with us. But back to the 10, they're all cleansed, they're all healed of the leprosy, and they're happy about that, but the one and only one who returns to the one who had brought who had the power and the love to touch him. The others, they, you know, they went to the priest, again, necessary. But all they can do is call you clean, not cause you to be clean. And so the religious ceremony was important, but of most importance is coming to Christ. The religious gathering that we call church, it's important. But again, if you're not coming here to meet Jesus, you're missing the point. What a waste with that. We come to meet Jesus in this place. We sing to him. There's a banner on the overpass that's advertising, I believe in music, because music is so wonderful, and, and, and we can all have commonality and stuff in music, but our, our, our music isn't for one another. It's for him. We come to meet Jesus, or we miss the point. And in verse 17, he says, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? He isn't even a Jew. He's not a Jew, and yet he is the one who's worshiping. And we see this in, in church circles today, because we have people who grow up in church, they're pretty good people, and sometimes, not always, sometimes they're the ones that like, oh, I, I don't need to give thanks for the salvation and stuff, but the sinner, the outsider who comes and goes, oh man, I understand the severity of my sin, those are the ones that bow down before him. The ones that say that leprosy was destroyed by life, they're the ones that worship. Do we understand the severity of our sin and what it meant to be separated from God for all eternity. Because if we do, 
then we're going to come to this place to worship him that we proclaim as master. Verse 19 says, and he said to him, stand up and go, your faith has made you whole. See, the others were healed. They no longer had leprosy, but this man was sozoed. The Greek word is sozo, and it means to be saved, delivered, healed, but it means to be restored, and that's what it's talking about here. These other nine, they were healed. They didn't have leprosy anymore, but this other man had that which the disease had taken from him restored to him. So is it enough for us to not have sin anymore, or do you want that which the devil and sin took from you to be restored? Because that's what he offers us. It isn't a simple, okay, yeah, you're forgiven, go your way, leave me alone. It's, you're forgiven, you're restored, come to me, and I will give you everything that was stolen from you. You need to call him master and be thankful for that. You won't find that hanging around in this place, even as awesome as we are. You're only going to find that as you press into him. Not just here. I mean, you need to do it in your personal life also. But when you're here together, we can come to Jesus in this place and be thankful. If you're someone who sometimes says, and I just don't get anything out of church. Did you come to church to find Jesus? Did you come to fall on your face before him and thank him for what he's done for you? Because I guarantee if you do that, you will always find something at church. You will also get something from him anything else becomes a waste of time that's our reason for gathering to find him and so three things for us i'm sorry two things for us today that we need to recognize we need to recognize who we are we need to realize that we are unclean we are the ones who should be calling out and say i am a sinner not that we're proud of it but that we confess it because we agree with God. And so we call out to Jesus. We call out to the one who we, we say is, is master. We call him master, realizing that he is the only one. See, sin eats away at us and brings death to us. And the cure, the only cure, is to put your complete trust in the blood of the Lamb who was sacrificed for you. He is so involved with us he so interacts with us that first he gave his life, shed his blood for us, and now he offers it to us and has us come to him. And so the second thing we need to recognize is who Jesus is. He is master. Okay? He's not equal. He's not my servant. He is master. He is savior. He is deliverer. He is healer. He is restorer. He is the one that brings life to us spiritually so that we might live beyond where we were, understanding that we are completely taken care of and healed and, and forgiven because of what he's done for us. But also, 
He's the one that desires to do away with the alienation, the separation that we have with God, that sin has caused with us. And it was because of that that he endured the cross, despising the shame for you. Because he wanted you, not just in heaven, but now. And not just now, but in heaven for eternity as well. He despised the shame of going to the cross. But the love that he had for you, he endured the cross. And so the fact that Jesus cleansed this man of leprosy is not nearly as significant as that Jesus has cleansed you from your sin. His compassion for this man shows us how much compassion he has for us and what we have going on with us. Understand that. Always recognize throughout the rest of your life, I want you to know that he is with me, he is for me, he loves me, and he offers me all the relationship with him that I will allow. We just need to draw to him because we know that God interacts with his creation because he lives within us. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's, it's hard, Lord, because some of us grew up understanding or, or thinking that, that you didn't really care about us. But that's not what your word says. So I pray, God, that you would show us what your word says and that your spirit would move in us and, and remove that which is false and fill it full of the truth of, of what your word says. May we always understand this desire that you have for us, that you interact with us, that you love us, and you have paid the price that we might be eternally with you. It is your love for us, not just putting up with us, that causes this to happen. And God, I pray that as we come each and every week, it will be about coming to you, thanking you, bowing before you, crying out with a loud voice because of what you've done for us. May we recognize that and live it all of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Lord bless you guys. Have a great week.